Good morning, Colonial Woods. Great to see you this morning. If you're joining from home, I want to say welcome to you as well. Do me a favor. Can you turn to somebody near you and say, I am so glad you're sitting close to me today. Do that, would you? If you want to tell somebody else it looks like spring outside, go ahead. Temp faith, temp faith. Glad you're here this morning. If you've been with us for the last 15 minutes or so, I am not sure that we could have possibly sung the message of today better than we just did. Because the entirety of the message today is really summarized in those three songs that we've sung together and appreciate so much the Spirit working in our midst this morning. We've been in a series called In the Beginning. Today we're gonna to take you to John chapter one, verse one. It's a little bit of a change for us as we move into the New Testament. For me, this will be the last message in this series. It's really the first message of the next series as we transition and as we bridge. But we've been taking a look in the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11, and we've been taking a look at some critical questions of how we've been created and what God did in creation but it's interesting, um, we didn't get all the questions answered, I'm sure. Some of you are a little frustrated because you thought we were going to answer some of the questions that were burning on your heart. Like some of you, is did, you know, did God really make um, Eve out of the rib of Adam? And some of you were wanting to answer questions about dinosaurs. And some probably wanted to ask questions about, um, well, the burning question I hear from kids all the time is, did Adam really have a belly button or not? Did he or didn't he, you know? And <laughs> I did answer one question for myself this last week, if you were with us last week, as kind of a side note when we were discussing Noah and his children and the families that were on the ark, I made a notation to you that his three sons were all in their 90s. They were married, but they didn't have any children yet, and so they were in their 90s. They were married, but they didn't have any children, and I made a pause in most of the messages where I said, now I know that seems really off. Noah by that time was 600 years old, and I know that seems really off, and why didn't they have kids who are in their 90s, for goodness sake? But I, I said there was obviously a different metric of uh, when people would have children, and I said that after the flood, we start to see a diminishment on the age of humanity, and we notice by the time we get to David that they only live until 70 or 80 uh, years of age, and I just simply acknowledge that it happens. Well, I happen just for my own sake on Monday morning, I was reading the post-flood um, uh, scriptures from chapter 9 on, and in chapter 11, all of a sudden, I feel like I got the answer to my question that I asked last week, because you'll notice in chapter 11, you begin to see quickly 
the diminishment of how long people live. They, all of a sudden, the ancestors of the, the three boys, they, they only live till about 200, then they go down into the hundreds, and then we see it really quickly. And at the same time, we see that they start having children in their early 30s, and then into their 20s, and the correlation made perfect sense to me that the quicker you have kids, the shorter your lifespan's gonna be. <laughs> and those of you who have children, adult children, are saying amen, right? So I sent that to a bunch of couples this last week. Now I'm gonna take you into John chapter one, verse one. I think it'll be evident why, but I'm gonna read to you actually the first verses of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to jump right into John chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis 1, 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Devoid is what the Scripture says. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, the word, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. You could translate that, the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, <clears throat> I tied those two passages together because uh, unashamedly, John ties those two passages together. John, as he is giving us a picture of who Jesus is, writes distinctly and distinctively different than the other gospel writers. The other, every gospel author had a reason for writing uh, the gospel the way that they did. Luke was reaching into the Gentile world and was trying to pull in and show that Christ was the son of man. And so he takes the lineage all the way back to Adam. And we see that Matthew is writing primarily to Jews. And so he takes the lineage back to Abraham. But John, John writes for a different reason because he's, he's trying to help those that are, are his readers understand that, that not only is Jesus really fully human, he is fully God. And so you'll see a distinct kind of a picture of the description of Jesus' life as John begins to share what's called the intimate gospel, a different picture than perhaps the others. 
And he uses this phrase, the Word. He, he equates Jesus with the Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Word, and it's that word logos. And the reason he used that is because immediately it speaks into every group of people that he would have been spoken, spoke, speaking to. Because if you were a Jewish person and you saw the word logos... The Jewish individual believed that the Word of God was the revelation of God in the Old Testament. And so what we know about God is the Word of God. And so the Word of God is the revelation of God. And so as he writes to them, immediately it strikes up imagery for them. If you were of a Greek persuasion or a Roman persuasion or a Greek philosopher or of that idiom they had a way of looking at things that they didn't believe there was a personal organizer or a personal God or a personal orchestrator of everything there was. In fact, they believed, in fact, for the previous several hundred years, the thought pattern was the word, logos, the word is that which organizes everything that there is. He's impersonal. It's the impersonal word. I don't quite get it. I don't quite understand it. But what John is saying in that opening phrase is, hey, if you believe that God is the, or the word is the impersonal, let me introduce you to the person behind the impersonal. If you're believing that the word is the revelation of God, let me introduce you to the perfect image, the perfect picture of who God is. And he begins to give us this incredible understanding of who Jesus Christ really is. Somebody asked me, you know, why I struggle with Jesus' deity. I struggle with that. But what we understand is how we know Jesus, the historical Jesus, is found in the incarnation, the, 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 the spirit taking on flesh, God taking on flesh. And so around 2,000 plus years ago, that's all we really know personally of Jesus. But we have the pre-incarnate Jesus. We have, we have God as spirit, right? And so it's, it's the pre-incarnate spirit that became flesh and dwelled among us. That's, that's what we're seeing in the person of Jesus Christ. And interesting what John says about him, and this is probably going to feel a little theological this morning, but that's okay. We'll give a little theology as we talk about why this is such a big deal. The first thing we learn about the Son is that he's eternal. And that doesn't mean he's just eternal future because my brain can kind of comprehend eternal future. He's eternal past. It says, in the beginning was the word. Well, in the beginning of what? Well, in the beginning of everything that was created, when everything was created, visible and invisible, because there are some heavenly creatures, there, are, there is the invisible principles and, and authorities. There, the, the, in the beginning, when everything was created, the word was already there. Now, I got to be honest with you, as a kid, I struggled with this. I never, that I recall, struggled with eternity future. That, that, that kind of made sense to me that the fact is, is that we live and that we're all going to live forever. And Scripture indicates all of us will live some, uh, forever somewhere. All of humanity is going to live forever. We have an eternal soul. That soul will not diminish. Uh, diminish. That soul is not going to be annihilated, as some would teach. Um, there is an eternity. And... I will spend eternity in heaven. I will spend eternity not in heaven, but I will live forever somewhere. That made sense to me 
kind of like the old hymn of faith, what is it, amazing grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 10,000 years, isn't gonna, it's going to go by like that because there is no end to eternity future, but eternity past, that one tripped me up. The idea that before there was anything, there was. In fact, God even introduced himself that way. He, he introduced himself to, to, to Moses that way. When, when people ask who you are, who am I supposed to tell them that you are? Well, tell them I am that I am. I always have been. I, I, I just simply am. There, was no, there is no past for me. There is no present. There is no future. I, I simply am. And so that's what astounded people when Jesus began to identify, taking on those two little words, I am, and he began to self-identify when he said, I am the bread of life. I, I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I, I am the door. I, I am, he says, literally in the last moments of his life. I, I am. He is, he is taking God's self-proclamation of who he is for himself. That idea of eternity past trips me up. But then again, that does for everybody. I mean, you do realize no matter what you believe, whether you believe there's a God or don't believe there's a God, the stumbling block is always what was before there was. If I hold to a purely evolutionary idea of the Big Bang Theory, the tripping point is always what was before that. Because even those who acknowledge that say there had to be something, uh, it was kind of a, a spontaneous explosion that took place. Yeah, but what spontaneously exploded? Well, probably some gases and matter inside. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. Where'd the gases come from? Well, what about before the gases? That, that, that idea of eternity past, it, it trips you up. And so if you've been tripped up by that, that's okay. It trips everybody. About the time that our brain gets a hold of it, whoop, it's gone again. Why? Because we're human. It is a concept that is so hard for us to grasp. He's eternal. He's, he's eternal. The sun is coexistent with God. You'll notice that the word exists with God, which means it's not just God the Father and then he becomes God the Son and then becomes, no, no, no. There's this idea of the Trinity that's taught here is that they coexist, that at the same moment the Father, there is at the same moment the Son, at the same moment the Holy Spirit. And John gives us this incredible picture of the triune nature of God. We see it evidenced in the Old Testament, comes to light in the New Testament. John, John, through the words of Jesus himself from John 14 to 17, we see this incredible interaction where Jesus says, I and the Father are one, and the Father and the Spirit are one, and the Son and the Spirit are one. And then he begins to pray this incredible prayer as he prays, Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, Son, glorify yourself. He begins praising this whole thing together. And I know some of you right now, you're, you're just doing the double take and saying, I don't understand that. And because you don't understand that, you don't feel like you can believe. There's a lot of things that I don't understand that I believe. I'll bet you do too. How many of you believe in the law of gravity? Okay, if you don't, go on up to the balcony, step off. 
Welcome to the law of gravity. And by the way, the law of gravity believes in you, <laughs> whether you believe in him or not, right? No, let's say that again. How many believe in the law of gravity? You believe in gravity, right? How many of you, and some of you can, can explain gravity? I only saw about four or five that maybe raised their hands and Pastor Bruce raised his hand in the first hour and I made him come up and explain it and no I didn't actually but it's interesting because it goes pretty deep when you get into the whole theory and the law behind gravity it's much more than what goes up comes down that's the communicator way of looking at it I tried last week to talk about aerodynamics and I tried to wax eloquent about gravity and to be very honest with you I was just bluffing my way through it man I didn't understand any of that stuff right because it actually has to do with the mass of an object and then the central aspect of that mass and the mass from the distance of that which is being it's an incredible concept Um, I don't understand it totally believe it I accept it I accept something that I can't fully understand or explain but I accept it to be true so when I tell you that I believe in the triune nature of God that God that Christ is eternal that he really is God in the flesh I don't always understand it about the time my brain starts to think it can explain it it just boop disappears and I don't know how it is that Jesus is God in the flesh carried my sins to the cross on the cross, I cannot, exp- I cannot comprehend how his righteousness becomes my righteousness and he takes on my sin. I cannot fully comprehend it. I absolutely believe it. Just because you don't comprehend something doesn't mean you can't accept something. This is important because for so many people, that's a huge stumbling block. There are all kinds of things that we accept as true that we have a hard time comprehending. The third thing I learned in this passage is that the Son is self-existent with God, which just simply means this. Before anything was and anything is, the word is there. In other words, all things have been created through him. Well, if he's before creation, then he must be self-created he he is self-existent it's just one of those concepts again that's hard to get but notice what he says in this it says and the word was God actually technically what it says in this passage is and the word was with God and God theos and ho logos in the beginning what was the word and God was the word it is the clearest most succinct statement of theology in the New Testament that God is the word they are one together they are essence in essence the same he is self-existent he is active in creation number four This is where we start to see John and we see the New Testament taking that concept from the Old Testament where God says, let us make man in our own image that while God created all things, the active agent in creation is the Son. Notice what he says in this passage, through him, the Son, the Word, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. 
Now, for some of you who maybe are asking some questions or you're trying to help other people understand what is really taught about Jesus and the Word, go to Colossians chapter 1. It's in your notes, but I'd love for you to find it in your own Bible. And you literally, I give you permission, not that it means a whole lot, you can mark this. If you were going to mark any passage in your Bible, I think you ought to mark this passage. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Look at how Paul describes Jesus Christ. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom, his Son, Jesus Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn, that word is preeminent, the the one who stands before all of creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." So we see that in the Old Testament that God creates all things by simply speaking into existence. We see in the New Testament that Jesus is equated with the Word. We actually see that in Proverbs as well. Proverbs chapter 2, Proverbs chapter 8. And then I can't remember the passage off the top of my head. I'm going to look at it here between services. But he begins to talk about how he's there at the very foundations found in the book of Proverbs. We come into the New Testament. We see John saying that that the Word is Jesus Christ. He was active in creation. We see he is active. He is the first mover. He is the agent of creation. And oh, by the way, number five he is the image of the father when you see Jesus you are seeing the father if you ever wanted to know how God thinks about you just look at Jesus when you see Jesus taking time to touch and heal the paralytic or to touch the untouchable person with leprosy or to speak to the to the one who has disgraced herself at the well the Samaritan woman or when you see Jesus on the cross forgiving the penitent thief when you see Jesus on the cross looking down and forgiving those who would want to crucify him father forgive them they don't know what they're doing when you see Jesus you're seen how God thinks about you. And if Jesus can forgive the unforgivable, then God can forgive the unforgivable. And if Jesus can redeem the irredeemable, then that means God can redeem the irredeemable. Which leads me to number six, which really is the essence of the message. The Son can change your life. 
It says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The word life is one of my favorite Greek words because there is such a clear distinction between the two Greek words that are translated life. The first word for life is that when you go to school, you take a biology class. Biology is a study of life. It's physical life. It's cells and it's cell structures, it's atoms, it's, it's organisms, it's, it's life. But the word zoe is the word for life that means significance, purpose, meaning. When Jesus said in John 10.10, I've come to bring you life and bring it abundantly, he uses the word zoe. It means I've not come to give you longevity of life. I've not come to give you this long physical life, but I have come to give your life meaning, significance, purpose. John says, in him, there's real life. And that life is the light of men. It's the hope of men. And it's interesting how he says that life becomes ours. If you go down further in this passage in John chapter 1, it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And why is this a big deal? Why does John make the connection with Genesis 1-1? Why, did, why am I teaching something that seems at best theological? Because the same one who pushed back the darkness by bringing light in Genesis 1 is the same one who can push back the darkness and bring light to your life. The God who took something that didn't even exist and give it existence is the same God who is speaking into your life through Jesus Christ. The same one who created is the same one who is making a promise to you today that he can change your life. The same one 
who gave purpose and meaning and gave identity. Relationship is the same God who is making that same promise to you. To all who receive Him, who believe in His name, And that word believe is so interesting because it it has three meanings to it. It's all one meaning, but the first meaning is it means intellectually accept. That's why I said what I said earlier today because for some of you, the stumbling block of, of faith has been that you can't explain it and it doesn't make sense to you, therefore you can't embrace it. And I would just simply say this, that believing doesn't mean that you understand or comprehend all of this, but what it does mean is that you accept that Jesus Christ really is God in the flesh, that he really did walk among us, he really did go to the cross and die for a purpose which was to pay for your sins, he really did raise from the dead, And he says, believe in me and you can have life. But believing is more than just intellectually accepting because for some of you, you were raised in a church and you've believed this stuff your whole life. The second word is the word trust. Anytime in the New Testament you see the word trust, it's the same word as the word believe. It's the word pastille, same word. It's just such a deep word that we don't have, unless you use all three words, you can't describe it from the English language. And trust, intellectually, I believe that stool will hold my weight. Trust means I will depend on this to hold all of my weight. One's theoretical, The second one is a heart issue. It means I I depend on this. And then the third concept of that word believe is um, it's it's a word of the soul. It means faith. It means I I claim this for myself. It's an act of my will whereby I accept this for myself. I believe the Blue Water Bridge theoretically will get me to to Sarnia. I trust that it'll hold my weight. Faith is getting on the bridge. And I believe there are some who've been with us over these last several weeks and you've been intrigued and you've, you've gotten questions answered and maybe more questions have come up. But, but see, all of this is important and relevant because it, it doesn't mean anything if you haven't allowed him to change your life. The God of the universe, the God who is eternal, the God who pursues, the God who creates is the God who is inviting you to believe and receive Him.
Paul says to those who believe. To those who will confess. He saves them. And maybe you've been waiting for an opportunity to invite the king of the universe to change your life. And I want to I want to invite you this morning. Let's pray. Father, while I've tried to do my best to explain some things, I really believe the most important discussion that could possibly take place is the one that you, Holy Spirit, have been having well before today. There are some that are here that have addictions and some that are here that have a sense of desperation and some that are here that have a sense of hopelessness and some that are here that just want a sense of purpose and meaning. Today, Lord, you are the God who is speaking to our hearts. You're the one who has been prompting and drawing. You are the reason we're here. And I realize that I have tried to be the Lord of my own life. And Lord, this morning, I'm sorry for that. And this morning, Pastor Phil said that we can know what it is to have life and I would love for you to give me life. I don't understand it all, but I do believe that you died for my sins and that you can forgive my sins. And so I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to make me a new man, a new woman, a new creation. And as much as I know how this morning, I embrace you, I trust you, I, I step into relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, I'm going to pray right now that you would awaken faith within us. I, I'm praying that right now that some who are resistant and feel even a little odd, that Lord, you would just simply quickly prompt their spirit and let them know this isn't some weird thing. This is real. This is you speaking to them. And by faith this morning, I become your child. Give me life. Give me purpose. Give me meaning. Give me fullness. Make me what you want me to be. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.